Welcome to the Teacher's Toolkit for Literacy, the free podcast for motivated teachers and school leaders who want to inspire their students and school community in literacy learning. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast player, and for more amazing literacy resources, check out the show notes provided with every episode. Hi, I'm Sharon, and I'm the host of a Teacher's Toolkit for Literacy. In every Toolkit episode, we bring you specific resources, tools, strategies, tips, techniques to help you in your job as a teacher of literacy. Firstly, we acknowledge and pay our respects to the Ghana people, the traditional custodians whose ancestral lands we gather on. We acknowledge the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of the Ghana people to country, and we respect and value their past, present and ongoing connection to the land and cultural beliefs. Welcome to the podcast, another podcast for you everyone. In every podcast, we like to give you um, tools, uh, specific resources, strategies, tips, techniques to help you in your job as a teacher of literacy. It's all about helping you develop as a professional where you make the choices that affect you in your classroom for the betterment of your students. And we hope we're opening some doors through uh, these podcasts we're up to. Um, It's now the 22nd podcast that we're doing. It's about um, using the fullness of the Australian curriculum, and we've had Almost 6,000 downloads of um, the podcast, which is great. It's fabulous. But uh, this week, Sharon, we've had a bit of um, merriment with the um, <laughs> Adelaide French. I love that word. Yeah. Yes, merriment indeed. Oh, I know. Haven't we been artfully... Employed. It, no. Have we? <laughs> no. Were you on stage? <laughs> no, no. But we saw a few shows. It was great. Yes, yeah. yeah. Yes, some tremendous shows from the... Um, theatrical to the gymnastic to the musical. Yeah, a great yeah. time to be in Adelaide for anybody yes. interstate or overseas. And we had some family celebrations, a 21st birthday, and we've had our daughter down from Queensland, so that's been really fun. Yeah, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. We have had – we've had a lot going on. It's a been gorgeous. Yes. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about motivation um, as educators um, getting – our students motivated. Um, what what are some of the things you, you've done in the past, Sharon, that um, have really helped oh, you? Oh, that's a big question. But I really liked actually how you asked me earlier in the day is that how motiv- how motivated are we feeling today? Oh, yes, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really like that, you know, because different things will absolutely um, motivate us at different times. And I'm feeling very motivated after being involved in a lot of cultural and artistic and um, performance um, opportunities as well as engaging in lots of conversations with people. I find that very motivating and having worked with um, teachers and principals in the last week, for me that really feeds motivation is when you're with when you're with others who are questioning and wondering and exploring. Yeah, having, in, having input uh, as a teacher in lots of different ways mm. motivates you. If you uh, not having that, you can sometimes feel that you're always giving in teaching, which is a very giving profession, but um, it is great to have some great input. Yes. And talking about mo- motivation today, we've got our um, Year 6, 7 teacher from Nairn Primary School, Giselle. Uh, back with us today. Welcome, Giselle. Hello. Hello, Sharon. Hello, Phil. How are you both? Yeah, fantastic, Giselle. Lovely to have you back again. 
Thank Great you to, for having me back oh, again. You know, well, I'm always up for a chat about literacy things. Oh, we know. Yeah. And and the joy today, <laughs> Giselle, is that you can join in on the conversation because you often tell us about how when you listen to the podcast, you would like to be in on the conversation. <laughs> It's the most frustrating thing, is particularly if I'm in the car and I'm listening to the podcast and I just keep butting in and no one stops, they just keep going. And oh, right. I find it very funny, but uh, yes, I absolutely love listening to it. I love, I love feeling that very conversational tone that um, as a teacher, I just absolutely value having those professional conversations, even though I'm not in the conversation, but um I just love that. And so that's, I think, the big thing for me in listening to the podcast in, and all the different people that are part of those podcasts as well as you both is just hearing those conversational, um, professional conversations that make me think, oh, what am I going to do next? And, and mm. how am I doing? How can I tweak this or change this um, to make that impact for students? And so, yeah, I really enjoy it. Oh. <laughs> it's like, so glad to be able to join this one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, well, I, I can see we're going to have to schedule in quite a few, Giselle, because otherwise <laughs> you'll be hammering me when, whenever we have our, you know, one-on-one yes. conversations in the school setting where, yes. And you, so great to have it. you, um, you know, um, as a teacher of Year 6-7s to be sharing what you're doing. Uh, it's fantastic. So, what you know, what's, uh, what's been happening in your class recently that um, – Anything uh, that you'd like to talk about just generally that you've um, been doing or? Well, uh, can I just say, mm. so as we're recording this, we're in the early year, uh, early part of um, the first term of the year. Yes. So yeah. I guess yes, um, that's what is interesting, you know, like what's happening in the world, what's been happening in the world of a new class of year six, sevens for you this year in general terms? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I've... Um uh, I have a class that came from a number of different classrooms um, oh. across the school, so yes. a very mixed group, and there was, I think, quite a lot of tentativeness, uh, that's the right word, I think, <laughs> <laughs> entering entering into the space um, this year. And so, yeah, a lot, of, uh, a lot of the last few weeks have been about um, friendships and communication and mm. uh, goal setting and understanding being on this pathway together, understanding mm. what excellence looks like um, and how we have expectations of ourselves as individuals but as a group of how we want to represent ourselves and, and really working towards being at our best. Um, so there's all the normal setting up the classroom routines and things like that but a much deeper look at who we are as learners, um, as individuals and the collective, how do we... Um, how do we achieve at our best and what do we know about ourselves as learners and what do we need to get towards? And so it's been really great. It's it's lovely to have such a different mix of students who don't really know each other and are exploring mm. those kind of ideas. Um, yeah, yeah. been very enjoyable. Yeah. A very enjoyable start. <laughs> so so normally or in other years, you're, you've retained quite a lot of your sixes as yes. your sevens. So I do – I did this year have um, – not quite half that right. uh, stayed with me. Right. But the ones who came in only came in little tiny groups of two or three rather right. than yeah. six or seven from the same space. Yes, so, yes. 
Um, potentially some of them have been in classes together before, but it, it was a very quiet start. <laughs> it was a very quiet start to the year. It uh, was a quiet start, I yeah, gather. <laughs> it was lovely. <laughs> but worked out very quickly that um, for this to be a year of really good growth and of really great experiences, we need to have some common ground on, on what we were here for and what we are aiming towards. And so... Yeah, lots of conversations and um, funny little activities and um, things that we've... I think some of them <laughs> have been a bit surprised that I approach things, you know, a little bit off-centre. <laughs> so I think I've gone, why are we playing with ball pit balls? <laughs> and I go, there's a point. You'll see. <laughs> so uh, there's, um, you know, it's, it's a very big thing for me to bring the unexpected because that keeps them coming back. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, well, well, you well, you're building a community. Um, that's what you're doing, yeah. isn't it? And it's uh, our timeless tea of together. Yes. <laughs> you're bringing yes. them together, aren't you? Um, which is yes. fantastic. Yeah. 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 And clearly there's um, the parallel right there, you know, in our topic today, talking about um, motivating readers, yes. that you're really um, – what you've just described there is really motivating the learning um, yes. building and motivating a community um, togetherness and motivating relationship building. But today's podcast we have called Motivating um, Older Readers and we don't want people to think that what you're going to be talking about isn't relevant for all readers um, because it indeed will be. But we also really value that as a Year 6-7 teacher, um, we can sometimes find that motivation for reading can have dwindled. <laughs> that yeah. um, that that is something, and and yet we know from the research. And I just want to um, reference um, that the motivation to read for reading research over the past twenty years has really escalated. That that has become something that. Um, it's acknowledged now that reading, and I love from Reading Rockets, um, the website that I think is quite a useful go-to site, when they talk about the definition of reading, they say reading is a multifaceted process involving word recognition, comprehension, fluency and motivation. And Linda Gambrell, whose article we're going to explore a little bit today, her article, The Seven Rules of Engagement, What's Most Important to Know About Motivation to Read, she says, well, what is motivation to read? She says it's the likelihood of engaging in reading or choosing to read. Engaged readers are intrinsically motivated to read for a variety of personal goals, they're strategic in their reading behaviours, knowledgeable in their construction of new understandings from texts and socially interactive about the reading of a text. So promoting intrinsic motivation to read should be given a high priority in the reading curriculum. And that's exactly what we're doing with Giselle today. Giselle's going to be talking about the high priority she's given to intrinsic motivation in the reading yeah. curriculum, not the... Um, not the reward <laughs> motivation <Right>. but the <laughs> but the real um you know really working towards that self-motivation self-direction self-regulation that we talk about with the, the three selves um 
and and how that is completely woven into um, the tasks and the teaching and the environment you create in your year six, seven room, as well as, oh, we're going to get to, I'm so excited because we get you to share this really powerful tool that you've really woven in that has been in absolute response to building student motivation. Yes, absolutely. I have to say that um, I really enjoyed reading through this article and, and working through it because so much of it I found I was already doing or that I already agreed with. Um, the idea of external reward or incentive, I really struggle with that. I really have very little of that in my classroom in any form. Um mainly because I probably forget to keep track of it <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then some students have really missed out. Um, I, I, for you know, however long I've been, 18, nearly 20 years teaching, I just haven't been able to make that kind of system work. Mm-hmm. So it was never going to work for me in developing motivation in reading to have external rewards. Um, so I can only hope that what I'm doing builds that intrinsic motivation for students because I know I can't manage another system of um, scaled prizes or or, or something that yeah. um, that doesn't uh, it, it's just not something that works for me. Um, no. And so there's other ways that I think to develop this motivation in students. Yes, and and where you said you hope, um, you know that you're having the buyback from this way of doing things. We know as you'll talk today we'll hear evidence of all those ways in which your students do engage and have become motivated because of the things, um, of the intrinsic motivation that you um, provide, that you allow, that you enable. Yeah. All right, so. So should we go through the seven yes. yeah. research papers? Are you pieces? feeling left out that Giselle and I would just talk? No, I think you guys... <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to I'm happy to sit back and have a coffee here. <laughs> you know we need big time kept though. You know I we do, need and I'm, I'm yeah. trying to keep it on task. Yeah. And yes. you know, yeah. and I'm looking at you going, and that's why you're here because you absolutely need to keep us. <laughs> also, another thing I do during the podcast is try and make sure what we're talking about is, relates to what a teacher can do in their classroom, and I hope that's working. <laughs> yes. yes, well, yes. we've got the teacher in the classroom here today, oh, so know, it absolutely is working. Well, it's easy today. All right, yes. yes. <laughs> okay, so um, we will, for um, listeners, we'll, um, the link to the article we'll have in the um, blog and newsletter um, so that people can, um, because we're not going to read the article, but we are going to uh, use the seven what. Uh, Linda Gambrell talks about the seven rules of engagement. And so I'm going to begin with number one. Oh, no, Phil's going to begin with number one. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Students are more motivated to read when the reading tasks and activities are relevant to their lives. Right. That's a good one. Okay. Now that's (laughs) – yes. Now, what I was going to say is you'll read them and then we'll let Giselle have the opportunity to talk about what that looks like. Um, in her classroom. Sure. Yes, sorry. <laughs> absolutely. No, that's absolutely. Um, I think I really like that as the first point because I think that's a really key thing. Something you touched on earlier, Sharon, about older students and reading. Um, I noticed that 
uh, I've taught this age group for a long time now mm. and it's noticing that there are other uh, attractive demands for students rather than picking up a book. And yeah, so yeah. Uh, I am referring to screen life and our uh, social media use and our YouTube viewing and I just find that uh, over the last number of years that students in a general sense might be less likely to pick up a book than pick up a screen. And so uh, there's a lot of good things about screen life but I just think they're missing out something there and then the research showing that that impacts their comprehension skills and impacts their word knowledge when they're not doing a lot of reading. Um, that really resonates with me as a teacher that I need to be giving them that opportunity to be reading and I need to be encouraging reading and developing that motivation because they may not be choosing that as their first choice yeah. outside of school. So this first one about... Um, that first point about they're more motivated to read when it's relevant to them, I absolutely agree because I look at the texts that are most commonly read and used in my classroom. They're all about, I mean, there are students who want to read a fantasy one or a science fiction, but so many of the students are picking up books that are about teenagers mm -hmm. and they're picking up books that are about drama in teen lives or relationships or yeah. um, all the things that they... Can relate to, to yeah, and it, trying to make sense of <laughs> yes, they're all and, grappling with. Um, one book that uh, I don't think it was last year, but might have been the year before, um, called "Well, That Was Awkward" by uh, Rachel Vale. I didn't actually have a hard copy of the book; I had an e-book copy, and that was intentional because a lot of the book has got text messages in it. So I would use it off my. I would be reading aloud as a read aloud off yes. my iPad, and then when the text message section came up, I would flick that up on the screen. So the students were reading the text messages along with me, reading mm. them out loud, mm. as though they were reading them off a screen themselves. Yeah. And so the students, you know, listening to their teacher go, "Oh, lol," <laughs> <laughs> as I'm reading out a text message, but they could read along, and it was very authentic for them because they're so used to seeing, um, you know, a conversation through text messages. And so it was a book. It was a lovely book about um, relationships and acceptance and things. Uh, but it was also the format of it as a read aloud was a different one that I hadn't done before, engaged them. And it was real mm. life for them. So it was a it, it was a huge hit. They loved it, that yes. book. Yeah, real relevance. Um because there's so many demands on um, uh, our not just kids' lives but our lives now. We're pulled in all different directions with social media and um, film and, um, you know, it's trying to find that space for books, isn't it? Yes. And I think it's, um, it's important for teachers to know about their students, even just little things that can help link students to a book. So if there's a... Yep. You know, I had a student, I actually had a student that year who had a turtle for a pet and there wasn't a lot that I knew that student um, was not necessarily that open and so, but I knew they had a turtle as a pet and so in that particular book, the main character has a turtle. So there was just this one oh. little moment um, that, you know, could connect that child to that book outside yeah. of the fact that the book was about relationships and, and teenage life. So yes. I think 
I think it's knowing enough about the students to be able to say, oh, I've got books about football or, oh, I know this one. This is, you know, I know you've been watching this series. Here's a, a book that's very similar um, to that TV show and or here's the original when it was in a book first. <laughs> yeah. Um, knowing knowing the enough little bits to make the connection to a book that makes it relevant to that particular child's life. Yeah, fantastic. That is, and it's that relentless you know, it's picking up on all those little things all the time. You know, it's that and what you've just talked about too, even just, you know, beginning of the year or that relationship building and finding out about each other and they're important things because we can't we can't lead them into um, a more literate life when we don't know about them as people. So yeah. that connection for them is is critical and Aidan Chambers talks about that you know that we that every child needs in their life an enabling adult someone who can help find the books mm. yes. and bring the books to us Crucial. whether Crucial. they're read aloud or whether we're pointing them in the direction of books that they can have a go you know that they may find interesting and why why they would invest time in it what 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 do i as the enabling adults see in this book that I think is right for you know the yes. the person in front of I me. Mean, that's a that's such an honourable process, isn't it? You know when we yes. can go. Yes. <laughs> you know this. That's I, exactly the word. I'm laughing because I absolutely feel that. I absolutely yeah. agree. That it's just that that absolute feeling of of honour and joy when mm. you know that a child has connected and you were the one who were able to, to help point them in the direction of the book that could do that. Yes, yeah. And you knowing those kids really helps, doesn't it? Um, making no. it relevant to their – the book relevant to them by knowing them and knowing yeah. the books. Yeah. And I was just going to say, just as much as not, not, not only knowing the students but knowing the books. Yep. And that's what um, – you know, I suppose that's one thing that over and over again I find myself talking about with people is, like, we have to know books. <laughs> we, yes. yes. I don't even know how to <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that other than just a sigh and say, yes, <laughs> yes. Because it is very hard to recommend books that you don't know yourself or you have no idea what it's about. Mm. And although I can give a challenge every now and then to students going, I don't know what this book's about, but anyone want to try it? There's only so many times that's going to work. And so, yeah. It, it, yeah, you just have to know what they're reading and if they're all passing the book around, what is that book? Find mm. out what it is. Find out more like it. Yes. Talk to yes. school librarians. Talk at bookshops, wherever. Just, mm. just find out about books that people are reading or, or talking about and, and try and keep that going. And sometimes um, on our podcast we um, have – uh, people that come on that mention lots of different books. So that's another. If you go back back on our co- podcast, there are yeah. some that are. I think Alison's on literature and uh, Rebecca on a whole lot of new books that have come in. Um, and we'll try <laughs> we'll try and do that uh, a bit more too to have uh, more podcasts on books that people can access and what, what I'm, I'm yeah. laughing about the Rebecca podcast because I was in the car yeah. and I couldn't write down <laughs> so I oh. kept pulling I literally I was on my way from the hills to Adelaide I yeah. kept pulling over once I got out of the freeway yeah. um, with my little notepad <laughs> and I was pausing, pausing the podcast going right write that one down and it's so funny that that's the one you brought up because that was the most 
I loved listening to it, but I really needed to be at home. Oh, <laughs> where yes, I could. Yeah. It was so funny because I was in the car going, oh, don't miss that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, and that's a good thing about podcasts. You can pause them and then... Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Probably little note to self for us too is having a list of those on the blog. Oh, as we get better at this, yes. we'll have more things <laughs> yeah. in, in the notes. When we find time. Yeah. Yes. yes. We're actually, okay, we're only up to number two, right, number so two. let's keep rolling. <laughs> Students are more motivated to read when they have access to a wide range of uh, reading materials. Oh, this one. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get through all seven because this is the one that <laughs> it's the big one. This this was me. Yes. This is the one as I read through this article, I just the highlighter in hand, going yes, 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 the whole way through. Um, and it it was very validating for me in that I have uh, a number of years now, um, six I suppose, five or six years, really built a classroom library that. I've been very strategic about and very intentional, but I guess for, in some ways it doesn't necessarily fit what maybe people imagine a classroom library should look like. So this particular section about that motivation when students have access to a wide range is so is so much what I believe and what I've yeah. tried to do with my class library and then the activities that I use the library for. Um, so in the article... Um, Linda Gambrell mentioned about includes books from an array of genres and text types, magazines, the internet, resource materials, real life documents, all of that, perhaps not so much the internet one, but all the rest of it is exactly what I have. So my class library has um, shelves of some novels or uh, uh, they're done by a series or particular author, say like Roald Dahl, or by theme such as animals. But then I also have all these other things in there. I have a big selection of picture books, even for an upper primary classroom. Um, They're great when we have our buddies come and visit us, but they're so important for capturing a teaching moment because I can get the book finished in one lesson and run the mini lesson about that particular strategy or skill that I'm looking for the students to get through. Um, I have what I don't really have a name for it, but I have a folder um, of plastic pockets, and in each of the pockets are different things students can be reading. So some of them have um, kids' National Geographic magazines. Some of them have um, one of them's a themed pack from Disneyland, and it has my map and my tickets and uh, information brochures, and so. It's an immersive kind of thing that they can read, you know, all about Disneyland. And I have another one of those from um, Legoland in California. I have one that's all about um, indigenous plants. And so it has little tiny samples in it of um, dried plant matter matching information text. I have another one that's about the zoo. And so it's got zoo ticket, copies of zoo tickets. And so there's reading that's part of reading a ticket. There's reading that's part of a timetable or a map. Mm. And so, you know, and information pages about animals. I have one that's a giant map of Australia. And so a group of students will usually take that packet and move into one of the shared workspaces, lay it out on the floor. And it's just got so much information on it because it has little fact boxes around the outside of the actual geographic map and so I've just made a a challenge card of can you find this place name can you find this fact 
can you, you know, it's it's just mm-hmm. reading differently than mm-hmm. feeling like you have to sit down and read a novel yeah. necessarily. Yeah. And so um, I have a lot of students accessing that. I have audio books um, on CDs. I have um, the, all those books that came out a number of years ago and there's still some developed now, but Egyptology and Dragonology and Wizardology mm. that have the flaps and the yeah. pockets and mm. the, mm. we call them the interactive books because yes. you're interacting and playing with them. And so mm. I have um, one that's got things about learning semaphore and how the flags work. And so there's, you know, information about that in there and I have one that's about tying knots. There's all sorts of things in my class library and mm. it's about having a place for every student to find something to read. Yes. Um, you're, really ex- not- you're really expanding the idea of, you know, what, what a classroom library, it's not just a range of books, it's a whole range of things, isn't it? You know? It's yeah. very deliberately about reading, not necessarily about books. Yep. <laughs> so yes. yeah. although I absolutely love books, it's not yep. the only thing and that's because I am very aware that So many students are coming from a different starting point, a different uh, background of reading skill, a different engagement in reading at school um, and different approach to that. And so entering my classroom is very much about here we read, but we will read anything. We will read a shopping list. So let's find something to read. And, um, And that's what has been the plan behind my classroom library over the last couple of years of building it up yep. and what I absolutely felt so grateful reading the article and saying yes, <laughs> good, the research says. The other key word in there I reckon is access, like they have ready access to all these things. Um, yes. It's not, they don't have to go to another building to read it, it's right there. Yes yep. and that's, that's really an important point for me to be able to say to them that we have a, a great library in our school and it's so important that you get to know that library and see what's there. But here's a second place. And if you are, for whatever reason, intimidated or um, feeling unsure about how to find something in another space, it's right here in the room and you can get up and go and find something and feel okay that you have picked up a picture book or you have picked up one of these um, information pack things mm. and it's really okay that you are sitting down and learning to tie knots because you've had to read the information in how to do that. And yep. so, yep. Um, but um. one of the things I think came through in the article that uh, on this same thing, that researchers and educators caution having many books in the classroom library is essential. It's not sufficient for improving motivation and I think that's oh, true because right. you could have an absolutely yeah. glorious display, mm. yeah. but it is just a display until you actually bring it to the students. Yes. And so that's why I particularly like point two because, <laughs> <laughs> because it brought in the two things that I think I feel are really important in the reading program in my class is not just building a great class library as best as I can, but what I do with that library and how I get the students to be engaged and involved in that yeah. library. Yes, because we've talked in other podcasts about making the library um, actually a living part of your teaching, that yeah. it's really integral to it and that's then it's not just a library or a, you know, it's not collection just a... Collection of books. Not just a collection yeah. of things to read in your classroom. It, it's actually a living thing because you use it in your teaching. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Giselle, I am completely captivated by a new term that you have used. Oh, did I? Yes. <laughs> yes. And I think this is, you know, this goes on the list for in your classroom library, but you used the word immersive. Oh, <laughs> and I believe it. I think I don't yeah. even really think that I uh, acknowledge that I said it because I just, uh, I, I believe it. I absolutely think it. It looks impressive to look at a lovely library, but they have it has to almost be empty because then yes. you know it's being used. Yes. It has yeah. to be moved and it has to yeah. be things have to be constantly coming off the shelves and coming back on because yeah. uh, otherwise it's just a display. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it absolutely means that there are entry points for everybody. They can immerse themselves in your collection because you know you're providing just a whole range of things for them to come in. You know, it's oh, it's almost like that Mem Fox, you know, come in, come in, my beautiful bears. Winter is here <laughs> in yeah. winter we sleep. <laughs> yeah. um, but that um, but that you talked about some of those, like those packs that you've made, you know, with the, the zoo pack and the, um, um, you know, the Disneyland uh, pack, the, you know, the map. You yes. know, that you can immerse yourself in it is is just honouring, there's that word again, every reader, isn't it? You know, saying this is reading, this is, you can be immersed in many different ways and in our room reading looks like all of these different kinds of immersive experiences. Anyway, I am, it's... You are Giselle Immersive Pulford. <laughs> right. Well, number three, I think, um, <laughs> moving right along, students are motivated to read when they have ample opportunities to engage in sustained reading. Yes. Um, I couldn't probably, disagree. <laughs> yeah, probably just covered um, a whole... Yeah, I mean, I have, uh, I have reading as a set time every single day, but it's not... It's not the exact same time in the day um, and often it will change daily and weekly. So I wouldn't say that Monday straight after lunch we're always reading. That's not the case. Um, part of that is about giving some flexibility in the day that if there's students who are in other programs, I don't want them always feeling like they missed the reading time. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I just... I just throw it in at different points. Sometimes it's the very first thing at the start of the day and so students will come in before the bell has gone and see reading and they're like, yes, I can start right now. And I go, absolutely, go off, you go and start. And so sometimes it's the first thing. Sometimes it is after lunch because, of course, it is a good way for students to wind down um, and get back into the focus that we need after a lunch break. But there can also be students who use who aren't doing effective reading in that time because they're spending so long winding down. So um, I don't want to do a disservice to what the reading program looks like and that's why I move it around in the program um, of each day and each week. Mm -hmm. But also that it's not always just uh, independent reading, that I'll have um, a shared reading. We I'll probably do that oh, maybe not weekly but every fortnight at least. Um, Giselle, by shared reading, can you just um, define what you mean by shared reading? Because my classroom library does have such a variety of non-traditional book type 
reading material, mm-hmm. um, they're encouraged to choose those. So it could be picture books. It could be these interactive ones that have puzzles or codes to solve or flaps and things to lift. It could be the big map or it could be those other things. They need to find a partner and they need to find a space in the room or the, the next room that just comes off of our main classroom. Yeah. And they're supposed to be talking, effective reading talking in that time. And at the end of it, um, there's an emphasis on them to share to the whole class of what they spent their time on. So if they've picked up Guinness Book of Records, I expect you to tell me a fairly horrifying fact that's going to make <laughs> you feel queasy. I want that. I want you to, you know, tell me the world record crocodile. That was always an interesting one because then we got out the meter ruler and worked out just how big that was in our classroom. And um, if you're reading the map, tell me what you found about, uh, you know, that there's two place names called the exact same thing in Australia or... There's so it's more, name. it's more than buddy reading, isn't it? It's not just reading yes. to a friend. It's um, No, it's very much about the shared experience of what yeah. you are reading. And so they're actively told not to read a novel because that's far too hard to get that. You can't both put your heads over yeah. the book yep. overly well. Yeah. Um, yep. And so it's everything else in the class library usually than yep. the novels. Mm. And very much about talk while you're doing it as long as you're on topic and yep. that's me walking around to monitor that. Yeah. But talk while you're reading, have a notepad or a, um, a whiteboard next to you so you can make a couple of notes about what you might share back to us afterwards. Here's the sticky notes if you want to highlight the pages you're going to um, share back to the group. So it's shared as a pair, but then it's also shared to the entire group at the end. Right. And yep. um, it's just a different it's a different way of giving them time to read and understand. I mean, I think that one links to another point that comes up in this article, actually, about yeah. the social, the social um, oh, interaction of reading. Yeah. It, yes. It's sort of that as well. But I, I hope my students know that across the day there will always be a reading time for them to read and whether that's independently or whether that's shared, um, it will always be there. And that's yes. on top of my time of reading aloud to them yes. of some text as well. Yes. I, and yeah. I'd just like to make um, a point for our listeners um, because there is sometimes a bit of confusion between um, a buddy reading type situation and calling that shared reading and then there's the shared well we call it shared enlarged text where a teacher will have it either on the screen or in a big book where we're looking at specific words all eyes are on the one text and all the whole class's eyes are on that text and we're really delving into so we're calling it shared enlarged text for the want of a better phrase um but I love your idea here of, um, you know, the buddies and then they're We're calling sharing. it shared, yes. We're calling it shared reading is fine, you know, it's fine. And um, then them sharing it with the class. It's fantastic, yeah. 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 So you're right, Giselle. Number five in Linda Gambrell's article, students are more motivated to read when they have opportunities to socially interact with others about the text they are reading. So you really intentionally build that into that shared reading time because you're getting them to talk um, yeah. yep. you know, or sharing back with the class about what's discovered as well as doing that talk together. Um, do you um, Does that talking about text happen 
of around their own books as well or yeah absolutely something i got from you guys actually was the the turn and talk and they um uh, often at the end of a normal just a uh, independent reading session yep um, I'll say, look, uh, is anyone reading something great that they want to tell everybody about? And so there's that impromptu book talk yes. that I'll ask them to do. But if there's not that many takers or it's the same kid who spoke four days in a row, so we all know the book now, um, <laughs> might be good to hear from somebody else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we all feel we know it. It's, yeah. it's going okay. Yeah. I love that that would never really cut them off, but sometimes yeah. there's not much more you can hear about that book <laughs> without getting without getting the without entire get, plot. Yes. So, yeah. um, so then I'll em, uh, embrace the turn and talk. So rather than tell the whole class, turn and talk that literally the person who you're sitting at the table with or who's next to you, um, set the timer often so it's a visible thing as well, timer on the, the screen in the classroom. You've got a minute or a minute and a half. All you have to do is just tell us, tell that person about the book. Yeah. They don't even have to interact necessarily and then they're going to get a minute and a half and then we might finish with one more minute where you can converse about that So, um, of what you both talked about together. So mm. about a five-minute thing after the end of the reading session for them to actually, you know, particularly if you're in a really good part and you just need to get it out and tell yeah. someone what just happened, yeah. Yeah. there's that opportunity for that. So not always a share back to the entire class, although I, I offer that most days, but the, the turn and talk thing as well to give them that chance to yeah. just tell yeah. someone else. And, and it's that that's a motivating skill in itself that there's, the students who don't really want to hear what mm. I have to offer necessarily about this is a good book. Mm. But if one of your peers tells you it's a good book, you're yes. likely to pick it up. Especially so, for older readers, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. absolutely. Yes. And so um, that's just really harnessing that sort of skill of talk to the others about it and, and get someone – because you've got the book there in your hand. You can literally turn it around and show them the page or show, read a bit out to them or – or whatever it is to, you know, engage that other person to possibly want to read that book later. And the other aspect is that by that turn and talk, they're all having a chance to deepen their comprehension um, because we know that talking about what we've read actually has a really huge effect on our understanding of that book as well. Yes. Yeah. Or whatever we're reading. Yep. Now that was number. Uh, I think that was number five. We'll go back to number four, which is. Students are more motivated to read when they have opportunities to make choices about what they read and how they engage in and complete literacy tasks. Mm. Yes, choice. I think choice is huge because I I probably had a class library, uh, you know, in years ago of teaching before talking with Sharon about why that is so important. (laughs) (laughs) That really was very limited. It really it was just. Uh, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 secondhand books that I had or because I put all my focus into taking them to the library and there you go. Look at all those things on the shelf. Off you go. And I didn't, I didn't, that's a lot of choice, but I didn't help them work with that choice. I didn't help them understand how to use that library. And after time spent with Sharon and talking about what class libraries should look like and getting that real understanding of what I valued in reading and how to build that, I now really feel strongly about choice and that's why there's so many different things in my class library. But it's also about how do I show them what's in that library and how do I get 
them to want to read it um, and approach, you know, this sort of wall of books, I suppose, yeah. because it could be, end up being the same problem that happens when they walk into any other place with books, that yeah. they're just scanning and not not sure how to make a choice that fits them. So, um, And choices, I it, think, yeah, sorry, choices embedded in the whole literacy lesson, it's not that they have one task, you know, that you've got five tasks going on and one of them happens to be where they have a choice and the other ones they don't have a choice. Um, it's when they have their independent reading or their sustained reading, they have the choice within that, which is the main part of the lessons for everyone, isn't it? Very much so. And yeah. so things um, I think I've spoken about before, particularly to do with vocab lessons and vocab work, it will be based on things that they are reading. So I'll be asking them to find words within their own choices of books. I'll have a class novel that has been the read aloud that we can refer to as well. But I want to know what you're reading and I want to know what words are in the things you're reading. Let's talk mm. about that. So it's mm. about connecting the literacy work that I need to be doing with them, but back to the things that they are reading and have chosen and enjoyed for themselves yep. and yep. at whatever level that is, whether they're reading a Percy Jackson book or whether they're reading the map about Disneyland, there are going to be words in there mm. or ways that the author or or writer of that particular text has put words together yeah. for a reason. Mm. And so that's what I want to gain from them. Otherwise, I get stuck into... A vocabulary lesson, for example, that is my choice of words and it may not, coming all the way back to that first thing, it may not be relevant to them and it may not connect to what they want to know about. But if it's a book they're reading and we can use the words from that for what we need to do in vocab, then it all ties nicely together. Yes, and all of a sudden the purpose becomes the motivation. Yes. (laughs) Because I've had the choice and because the um, the text that I'm reading is my text <laughs> and I'm collecting words from there, then then motivation exists. There's purpose and reason. So. A, lot, a lot of schools are trying to bring more student voice into the school. Uh, this is a perfect way of them having a – through having a choice, they're having a voice in what they're doing in literacy, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Yep. And we do that for other things than just vocab. Um, today, I mean, it's sort of – word work related anyway but today in their reading independent reading time I asked them while you are reading uh, if you have a book that has a character basis to it um, I want you to record something one of your characters says so taking out a quote because I think um, some students are used to seeing you know a, a a pointed quote in isolation and let's all talk about it what do we think it means but I want them to pull that out of what the character is saying so that they can start to think about, well, if they're writing, what would they get their character to say? Um, and so we had a a point today where it was looking at what what kind of things does your character say? And that brought into conversations of, does your character say anything? Have you actually noticed that there's a quite a silent character or mm. that they're, you know, what tone does your character seem to have? Once you pulled out one individual sentence or quote from that character, you actually unraveled a lot of thinking about that character that you might not have got if you just looked at the book as a whole. Yes, yeah. Wow. Oh, such powerful examples, Giselle. 
You know, <laughs> it's only good when it works. <laughs> <laughs> and it's okay if it doesn't work because things, <laughs> yes. things sometimes don't work. Yeah. We haven't done the character one this year, so there's always that risk that, you know, two-thirds of the class go, but I'm reading the Guinness Book of Records. <laughs> and I go, okay, let's rethink that. But I, knew, uh, <laughs> I did know that a lot of uh, – a majority of the people were – choosing a, a book that I knew would have characters in it. So we uh, we were okay today. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, Giselle, whilst we're talking about choice, um, you know, you talked earlier about, um, you know, in the choice, you know, in response to choice here, that taking them to the library also meant that, yes, how do we go about choosing? Um, this might be – I'd love you to delve right in now <laughs> into um, – I think this is really probably one of the reasons why you set up the reading restaurant. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. And um, this actually is essentially what I really wanted you to <laughs> bring to us today was we wanted to – it's just so wonderful to hear about that big picture of what every day is looking like, how hard and intentionally you are working at building motivation for students every day and that that um, and how that plays out in the everyday but one of the really powerful tools you've introduced to your class and I think you've already started the year with yes yes with the reading restaurant so tell us about um, what it is why you developed it how you use it um, and if we have to do a second podcast on this, yeah. we will. Yeah, we will. <laughs> feel free to interrupt because you know I can talk about this one for a while. I, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll so take. Feel free to cut me off when no, you need to. <laughs> take, take us home but, on it, Giselle. Take us home. <laughs> but the reading restaurant came from that thinking of students who always picked up the same book, and I will. I will be clear. It was often the treehouses, treehouse books. Now mm-hmm. they have a place. Absolutely, and yes. I absolutely love the humour and some of the uh, outside references that are woven into those books that I find quite clever and enjoyable. But there were students who would only stay in those books mm-hmm. and um, because each book follows a very similar pattern to the next one, I was getting concerned that there there wasn't going to get the growth that might happen if you um, try some other things. And so... It came a couple years back now, I think, um, three years maybe yeah. that we that I started this, and so it was just after I'd been to secondhand bookshops or charity shops and found a whole stack of books to buy in for the class library, and I was trying to think about how do I show everyone what I've got. And I can't just put it on the shelf because then it will just be on the shelf and it might never get picked up. So. I came up um, with an idea that I don't think it's original to me. I think there's plenty of other versions around um, that people can find on teacher resource sites and, you know, social media and stuff probably. But so they call it the reading restaurant and I set up the classroom to look like a restaurant. So I arranged the tables into six group tables, lay them with a the tablecloth. They have um, battery-powered candles and, uh, you know, sometimes a little flowers or something on there as well so it looks like a little restaurant and and on the table um, most of the time I do it by uh, by genre so a table will be set up as a mystery table um, uh, have had a table of horror books <laughs> at yeah. times mm-hmm. uh, relationships adventure a table that might be a picture book table so not um, 
not necessarily a genre type of uh, a theme one. And so I strategically then organise who's going to sit at which table um, when they come in at the start of the day and I send them to their table and, and we talk about that we're in a restaurant and we are here for a book tasting. And so they will be given 10 minutes only to read a book of their choice from that table. Um even if it's a theme or a genre that you're not used to or you wouldn't normally pick up, there are more books on the table than students sitting there. I usually have about six students at the most at a table, but I'll have 10 or 12 books available on that space. A couple minutes to pick one and then 10 minutes of reading. And I, and I want you to give it a really good go of reading. I don't do it of please read the first 10 pages or the first 20 because, of course, students read at different speed. Mm. And so I don't want anyone feeling that they are holding others up or awkward about the speed of their reading. And so it's a 10-minute time. And if that time you only read three pages, if in that time you read 20, it doesn't matter. But it's about tasting the book and trying it out. And then I have a little menu that I printed up for them and it has a section for entree, main and dessert. And in the first table that they sit at, they fill in the title and author, um, their first impression of the book, and finally what they, if, if they would read it again and if they would consider reading it again. On the back of the menu is a blank space where at that table, while they're there, they can fill in any other text that they didn't get to try but maybe would consider having a look at from another time. And then at the end of that 10 minutes and that little menu writing time, they get to move to the next table. And so every group progresses to the next table along and it repeats again. So they have another 10 minutes of that next table and the type of books that are there. They fill in the next section in the menu and then we do it one final time. So they they visit three of the six tables in that particular time. The books on the table really vary from um, quite high-level text to some that are almost of a reader style um, to suit whoever might be at that table. And there should be something that they can all access. But it was about breaking down that I only read these types of books (laughs) and getting them to see that you've got – it's 10 minutes out of your time In total, it's 30 minutes out of your time. A normal reading session for us is around 30 minutes anyway. Um, Try it out. Like going to a wine tasting or a cheese tasting, try it out. Just have a go because if you don't like it, it doesn't matter. You're about to move on. If you do like it, awesome because I might have just shown you what other books are available to you. And so... Uh, at the end of the 30 minutes and we're packing up the room, I just get them to stack all the books um, on one table sort of off the side and then ask, is there anyone who actually wants to take one right now? And usually about a third to a half of the students are like, yes, yes, and yeah. off they run right. to go and get something that they just tried out. Mm. I had a moment, um, I was talking to Sharon earlier about a student who I was doing her um uh, checking in with her about her reading and listening to her read aloud. And, and I said, oh, um, so you've enjoyed this book. That's awesome. Uh, where'd you get it from? What, what made you pick it up? And she gave me this look of just like, 
are you the stupidest teacher? It was just, it was hilarious. And she said, you, I got it from you. And I said, oh, no, I know it's in the class library, but what made, of all the books, what made you pick it up? She said, you did in the reading restaurant. And I went, oh, oh, okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> She's right. looking like, you know, how did you not work that out? <laughs> but it was, how often she'd you... been introduced to it. She wouldn't have seen it. She thought that mm. she probably wouldn't have seen it necessarily on the shelf before, but she picked it up that day and it stuck with her and, and she came and and, compl- and wanted to go on with it and yeah. read it. And there's no, there's no push on anyone to do that or to, you mm. know, you might have a book you're loving right now, so you don't need any books from the reading restaurant. But it was about introducing them to what's in our class library and what's mm. on the shelf. Yeah. I can't talk about every single book or I wouldn't get any other lessons done. No. So <laughs> mm. it was a way to just give them a tasting and a, a chance to see what's there and to be brave about trying books that maybe you wouldn't normally try. Mm. But a, a 10 minutes out of your time to try that particular genre that you might not have noticed before. How often would you do it, Giselle, like um, um, the restaurant? I definitely do it once a term, yeah. but sometimes uh, if I've had uh, a bit of an influx of new books, so I, I've had a chance to go secondhand shopping or someone's donated a whole stack of books to our class or um, you know we had some availability mm. to buy from a book club or something, then I might do it then. If I can see students are just flagging a bit, they're not... Um, they don't seem to be hugely engaged in finding things and sticking with it. So mm. kids are uh, frequently getting up in the reading session and kind of just wandering and picking up a book and then at the end of the reading session it goes straight back on the shelf. Yep. Um, that's sometimes the time when I see that we just need a reminder of what's in the library and, and what we can use. Um, sometimes I've taken one of the group tables has been a set of books from the main school library. So I've asked the librarian, you know, what's new or what hasn't been moving off the shelves recently that we can give a bit of a push to. Mm. So one of the tables will be called from your library (laughs) kind of of thing. Um, Last year I had... Last year I had a different one. I tried one out. I had one table where all the books were in brown paper bags and on the outside Mm. I just put a few icons that could indicate what might be in there so you know an icon that might represent that it had romance or history or animals or that's a weird combination isn't it (laughs) (laughs) i wonder what that book is um so they had to look at all the bags and look at the icons and think about what they would be interested in but there was no way of reading the blurb and once you or seeing the cover so once you a couple of minutes of choice were up, you had to pick a bag and you had to open it. Um, huge hit, amazingly popular table to the point because I have six tables, but they only visit three. <laughs> the three groups who didn't get to that table <laughs> were like, <Yeah>. "What?" <laughs> you could see them calculating, yeah. going, "Oh, the next rotation, I'm going to be on that one, but no, I'm going to miss it." Oh no! <laughs> so that was a bit funny. That's um, funny. So did you wrap your whole library then? No. Uh, yeah, that would be an idea, wouldn't it? No. I, no. Um, that was a table that was very, very mixed and it was good. And I had more than the usual there because once a bag was open, a kid could yes. be in it. So I had more bags that more books than usual on that yes. particular yeah. table. Yeah. But I love the, the reading restaurant. It's just a fabulous 
idea. Yes, um, yes. And, you know, I love how, like, you've got your eyes on, you know, what are you, you, you know, how, how's the motivation for choosing going? Mm. And that you've got that as a tool to, okay, we, we need to expand, you know, children's repertoire or their range of reading or we need to re-engage them um, to interact. I love how you use it with your classroom library and with the school library and how you work in, you know, choosing what hasn't made its way off the shelves. So all of those things, that's that real enabling adult action that says, okay, let me orchestrate and intentionally do something here to um, to open more doors back yeah. into um, back into text or different types of text or just back into yeah where do I go now? Yes, because I think sometimes for all that it sounds funny, there's actually too much choice, and mm. some students find that really hard to yeah. work out. Am I going to like the topic? Can I even read this level of book? Does yes. it have the kind of things I need? Um, but there could be a whole series of questions going on for the student before they can even actually take a book off the shelf. So yes. part of the reading restaurant was about I don't always have it themed tables, although that seems to be the most popular way for students that I do that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I've just put just books on any table and it's mm. – um, I'll send a student strategically to a table where I might have thought, no, I'm going to put a couple of dragon books over there because I think that's what you are ready for or what Mm. you've been watching or or doing. And so, um, but it's about, it's about narrowing their choices with some, Mm. you know, intentional behavior around that. And so without them feeling like the teacher was having an intervention with me, Mm. that they can feel that, I was thinking of them and I've worked out some ideas for them, but I'm still giving you choice from that range Mm. of what you might like to try. And it is just about trying because at the end of it, you still don't want any of those. It's okay. We'll just try a different way of finding you something else. What do they do with the little menus that they've got? Uh, We put them in our reading journals. So uh, I think I mentioned that there's a section on the menu that's completely blank for adding other titles because you're only allowed to read one at the table. And there's three tables you don't even get to. So they do get a bit of time to add to that. And that means it's a um, kind of like a to-be-read pile, but it's mm. the list of books that you'd like to try out, you just didn't get to because someone was faster at picking it up <laughs> or something. Or even in that, you know, talking about that um, social interaction, that you're at the table. The table reading time is silent in the restaurant, but at mm. the end of it, there is time to sort of say, oh, I was reading this, was it any good or... Do you oh, like yes. it? And, yep. you know, mm. So there's some time there for talking yep. and that might Im, um, encourage them to write down other books on the menu. So it goes in the reading journal, which they can access at any time then, particularly when they're kind of for a book. And I say, well, you know, go back to your reading journal. The menu's in there or the last two menus are in there. Anything off that list that you want to give it a go and just remind them that they, they did have a, a to-be-read pile. <laughs> and while you've been talking about all this, I, uh, I was starting to think of read-alouds because – Read-alouds are a fantastic way to introduce books as well. Um, oh, yes. Um, and that kind of goes into point number six where it says students are motivated to read when they have opportunities to be successful with challenging texts. Now, they can have any any challenging text through a read-aloud. Um, 
but I I was also thinking of uh, younger younger readers where um, you might get through more books through read, read aloud, whereas with the older ones you you don't you you tend to stay on the same text a lot, don't you? And you, so they're not not being introduced to a, as many texts as, as say the younger readers might, might be through lots of read alou- read alouds. Well, that's true on the whole that where I do a read aloud, it may not have been a book that students could necessarily have read for themselves. And so um, I'll often pick one that I think will fit the, the, the group of students, but that I'm conscious some would probably not have been able to read for themselves. And so that will be the choice for my read aloud. But I also sometimes do what's like a mini read aloud and I'll only read a certain section out of the book. Um, So, you know, um, like that Hazel Green by Odo Hirsch where the character Mm -hmm. Hazel goes to the bakery and they wanted to try this new um, chocolate baked item and the author has described the layers of that particular bakery (laughs) item and you can literally (laughs) see the kids' mouths watering by the time you've read that bit. Then I slap the book shut and go, that's it. (laughs) <laughs> That's all I'm reading to you. Yeah. And, you know, kids are, there's always at least one who goes, can I read it? Can I, you know, and you go, yes. Or you have, um, do you know, uh, one and only Ivan, and it starts with, I'm Ivan, I'm a gorilla. It's not as easy as it looks. <laughs> and then that's it. <laughs> and I stop with that. <laughs> and, you know, it's such. It's knowing it's knowing books that you think kids are going to like, but maybe they're not going to pick it up because they've judged the cover or they think it's too hard for them. But you're reading a little bit of it to give them that taste and say, "Okay, that's it. That's all I'm doing. Does anyone want to take yeah. this and, yes. and pick it up?" Yes. And so, yeah, it's a different. I call it for me. I call it the mini read aloud because I'm reading just a bit of it, and every now and then I'll do it over two days. So you know, if I want the whole chapter to come out, I'll yeah. read you know over two days, but that's intentionally not planning to read the whole book because yeah. it is true that the read-alouds I generally pick will take us weeks. Um, yes. They're quite a lot longer. And so I break it up every now and then with that way of introducing another book to them and, and getting some of that motivation and interest in what that book could be about. Yeah. that's And I think, I, not in this article, I don't think, but Linda Gambrell refers to where you do your mini read aloud, um, she talks about the blessing of the book. Oh, so, I like that. <laughs> yes. That, you know, I like that. that. That once we bring just a little bit of the book or even just, you know, show the book and maybe read a little bit of it or say what it's about, or but once we give a blessing to it, it, it does that job of opening up new possibilities but reducing the burden of choice (laughs) because it is for our older readers when we're going to invest time in a longer text you know to read for ourselves we want to we want to know that it's it's going to be good for us to to invest the time in it you know that we're we're not going to feel like we're going to be let down or, um, you know, that this is just, well, for all, whatever the reasons are for it. But Nancy Pearl, an American um, librarian, I like how she talks about too that we, in all of that choice, that once we make a choice, 
we need to give it a good chance to do its job because we can't just keep abandoning quickly. So she says that until we are the age of 50, we should give any, you know, longer book, any chapter book, we should give it 50 pages and not be quicker than that to abandon it because how does the storyteller, how does the writer really get into the story, you know, in the first few pages. You can't yes. always just get yes. into it. But I do love her little um, um, adjunct to that where she says, but if you are over 50, you can <laughs> reduce, you, you can subtract <laughs> your age from 100 and read that many pages because you've got... Because short. Yeah, so you've, you've got to get your books in. That's yeah. it. That's it. <laughs> And you might need oh, glasses funny, as well. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I like that um, that idea of about reducing choice, bringing um, text to children, and your reading restaurant does yeah. that as well as all of these other, um, you know, these short little tastings or blessings mm. that you. And I was yeah. going to, I was, yeah. was quickly going to say with the read alouds for the younger ones um, and older ones, I suppose. Uh, Having a basket of books that have been read aloud are the one, yes. the yeah. ones the little ones will go to over and yes. over again. Yeah, yep. or on display yep. or yep. somewhere oh, accessible. Yep. I, I find that still with a class novel, that if I have read the first in a series, there are plenty who want to read on in that series. Yep. Um, if I have read a book that, uh, well, that was awkward, the one that I read on yes. uh, um, the e-book, had this huge frustration at the end because a bunch of kids wanted to read it again. They'd missed one day of me reading or so they'd missed a tiny section or something. And I said, I'm sorry, I (laughs) I don't even have to pay for coffee at this point in time. And so there is demand for students to come back to books that you've introduced them to first. And that's true at every level, I think. Yeah, I think so. um, Yeah, absolutely agree of taking the book out of the class library. Not always, but... Often, and then having it back in that library in some form for students to access afterwards. Yep. Yeah. And I think we've um, kind of covered number seven in all the things we've been saying. Students are more motivated to read when classroom incentives reflect the value and importance of reading. Um, so yeah. classroom incentives, I think we've, we've sort of talked about that where it's more intrinsic, it's not... Not yes, a, um, every a part of everything yeah. Giselle's yes. talked about yes. has because, been about the intrinsic. Yeah, I was going to say the incentive is is that <laughs> to talk in the language that my students would talk about, the fear of missing out of, mm. you know, they're all talking about this book and they're all reading it. I don't know what that is. That's incentive for me to go in and find it. Or mm. I heard, you know, the teacher and the student in the corner seemed to be having this massive conversation and they were laughing and they were getting all excited and waving their hands around because I do that. Um, (laughs) What are they talking about? What book is that? There's always some student who's listening in to that book conversation who goes, what's what's that book there? What are you you talking about? And you go, yes, good. That's what it should be. And so... um, And there's more book blessing. Yes, that's right. And I have... You know, I have uh, bookmarks in the room that are, you know, very bookmarks. Um, some based around books, some are just image things, but some are quotes from books, and there's all all kinds of bookmarks in the room. There's, you know, that's it's not given out as some kind of incentive for doing a good job in your reading. That's take them, take them because yep. that encourages you to do another read or find out what that 
what that bookmark image is or what that quote is from, there's encouragement to go and find that book and, and find out more. So, Thanks, Giselle. And I think, you know, we've covered all those uh, points and I think um, fantastic that you've given us, illustrated what that could look like in the classroom. Oh, so many yeah. examples of it. And I'll, you know, really sum up by saying too that it is so much about knowing our students, knowing the books. Yeah. Now, some yeah. quick questions, and Ooh. we'll just do really Ooh. quick questions. Yes, I can see your eye is on the clock. And quick <laughs> answers. Um, what motivated you to read as a child? Oh, I think it was just knowing more stories and mm. and and listening to, I think from an early age, listening to the rhythm of somebody else read and the, the joy before I could access the story myself. Yeah. Um, and then just, yeah, knowing more stories. We... Um, Summer holidays, school holidays were always spent first days or you know a few days of the school holidays was always down to the public library with our library bags and you know borrowing up to the absolute number you were allowed to have. Um, that was that was my family's sort of first thing every holidays and um, you- and it was mostly about libraries more than bookshops. So I think it was uh, yeah very much about just I wanted to know more stories. So. That was my motivation to keep reading and find out the next thing. <laughs> what, what motivates you to read now as an adult? Oh, being taken away, that that idea of um, reading. I can't remember the exact quote, but that idea that reading takes you places when you can't actually go, like mm. that you're just in another place and another time and another life. Um, I just, I love that. And it's my absolute switch off from normal life is to escape in a book, so... That's my motivation. And best question you get from older readers? Um, do you... <laughs> I'm going to have to be careful you, don't I? I was going to say, do you have a book that's a bit more than this? Oh, yes. And that's, that's where I have to say, do you want more violence? Do you want more romance? Where are you going here? <laughs> and it's right. usually one of those two. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you have a book that's a bit more than this? I, I love that question and yeah. I think that's good. Best mm. tip and it shows that trust that they think yeah. I do. Yes, yeah. yes. Best tip for teachers of older readers? Uh, read what they want to read yeah. so you know about it. Because it makes your conversation so much more authentic and it gives you a little bit of that, um, uh, you know, good impression to the students that, oh, you actually know about that or, um, you know, you've read something like that. Or when when you can tell them that, particularly if they're uh, a student who's highly into viewing things, if you can say that you know, you know, a book series that was like that or that, that, the writer of that TV show actually also wrote this book, series of books. Um, you know that mm. that happens a lot as well. That where you can connect them to books, I think um, you, you read what they're reading so that you have more to share with them about that. And best tip for parents of older students: well, older don't readers. give up on the read aloud. Sorry. Don't but, give up on the read aloud. Uh, like, yes. uh, yep. Yeah, yep. I know that's a thing because once they can read for themselves, we, we want to leave them to read for themselves. But there's still a lot in a a chance to sort of share a reading with them. And so even if that's, you know, listen to an audio book in a car because you can still mm-hmm. have a conversation then about that. If yes. it's not you personally sitting by their bedside reading to them anymore, 
an audio book in the car together. Um, I had a family a couple of years back who listened to the Skullduggery Pleasant book as a family and the parents came in saying, you got our son onto this and now we've been listening to it. We can't, <laughs> you know, and they the parents were raving about it. And I went, oh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> you know, but, yeah. but for parents who sort of, I think, perhaps hadn't been reading that kind of, level of book for a while or perhaps even hadn't done a lot of reading for a while for themselves they were getting this with their family and and that shared experience of reading and so I know that's not always easy for older family uh, families of older kids but keep bringing books into their life and keep trying to share the stories with them Mm. well thanks thanks so much Giselle for all your input today it's been fantastic and uh, hope our listeners out there have got some really great tips for what they're going to do in their classrooms. Hope. We know that they will have. It's (laughs) been so. Thank you for letting us in, not only into your classroom as a world, but into your strategies and into your passion and into your knowledge of working, really motivating older readers. You've you've spent... more and more years refining that, Giselle. You've, yes. you know, it's it's thinking deeply about what this means for every child every day in my yes. classroom. That's how yes. you respond to it. Yes. So that builds into, um, you know, a really um, powerful repertoire of things that you bring to that motivation to read, not well, only to what... read but to talk about it. Yes, and that's yeah. what we keep trying. So we're just. Keep trying and keep pushing it for for our students to to make those that growth and that mm. enjoyment. So yes, thank you for having me on. Oh, oh, thank you. Such a pleasure, Giselle. Such a pleasure. Thank you for um, you know letting us have a word every now and then. And <laughs> no. sorry, no. no. I know. no. <laughs> And maybe uh, down the track there's going to be a technology where you're driving along in the car and you can press a button and you can interrupt our podcast and we can all start talking. You know? Yeah, I think they You definitely want to mute that. You'll be like, no, no, we've, got, we've got a purpose here. Yeah. Time. yeah. Coming, so, line, someone coming in on line too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, uh, also to everyone, all our listeners, thank you very much and uh, please join us on our Facebook group, uh, Teachers Toolkit Facebook group. It's another way of... Uh, joining us as a community because that's what we're trying to build here, build a community of learners. Uh, Listening to our podcasts, um, comment on our website, the Q Learning website. But thank you very much. Thank you, Giselle. Thank you, Sharon. And see everyone next time. Or hear everyone. Oh, no, just hear us. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, well, okay. (laughs) Bye for now. See you. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast. To make sure you don't miss any literacy learning tips and insights, please subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player. At Q Learning, our literacy specialists draw on over 30 years of teaching and international consulting experience to deliver world-class learning solutions. We equip, empower and support teachers to become their authentic selves. To find out about upcoming webinars and about how Q can help you and your school, visit qlearning.com.au. And you can get even more amazing teaching resources right now at teachific.com.au. Stay tuned.